How are we today? What kind of a group do I got today? A tired group? Still uh, recovering from New Year's, huh? I don't know, that's staying up till midnight. I, I celebrated New Year's East Coast time, and that really worked well for me. So I recommend that. That's the way to do it. Well, Happy New Year, you guys. Uh, I am really excited about some of the things that we're looking at coming up quickly. Um, but before I dive into my message, I, I do want to chime in a little bit on what Sharia said about South Africa. Um, I know that uh, financially, uh, we've been asking a lot. We just took up the global offering for Regions Beyond in November, and we raised about $9,500 for that, so I really appreciate that. Um, that's a lot of money, and it will go a long ways. That goes towards the Regions Beyond General Fund that helps fund a lot of things around the world. It does include um, sewing into quite a number of ministries. In this particular case, um, I know that the timing's not great right after the holidays and just after we made a push for an offering in November, but I still would ask you to, to pray and consider what does God stir in your heart about how to help this situation. These are people that we know personally. I've built a relationship with Paul in recent years. Um, we have the team will be there at the end of January, rolling over into the first part of February. I will be there where that church plant is um, in the first part of April. They're also building a training center in there. Paul has been a very uh, effective um, person to raise up leaders in the local context of South Africa. And he's just been very good at it and very productive. And I think that's something that, that we can be supportive of. So I, I just wanted to acknowledge that I, I, you guys have been so generous. I think last week I shared some of the numbers. But the last two years, um, through your designated giving and our ability from the general fund, we've given away over $120,000 the last two years each year. And that goes towards benevolence, it goes towards missions, it goes towards missionaries or people that work in ministry around the planet. That's a lot of money for a group this size to give away. And I just appreciate your generosity. So I just want to acknowledge that, knowing that while we're asking for you to consider giving yet again, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge that, that I appreciate your generosity. Um, very thankful for that. Looking forward to the days ahead where there's a constant exchange back and forth of people and resources in different places on the globe as the church continues to realize uh, more and more of its worldwide family. So there you go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful today, Lord, that we can gather, that we can celebrate you, that we can sing together and hear from the word, from the scriptures. And Father, I ask this morning, we, we just submit this time to you. This message and all of this communication and this time together, Lord, you're the king over all of it, and you're the reason we're gathered today. And so, Father, I thank you and I praise you for that. I pray that you would uh, be guiding each one of our hearts through these scriptures today and these concepts, and Father, I pray that you would, you would be glorified in our midst this morning. Work in our hearts today, Lord, and, and draw us closer to you. Lord, you are, you are drawing people to yourself, and I pray that the hearts of the individuals here today would be drawn towards you in all of this that we talk about today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm excited about what we're going to be doing over the next few months. Uh, beginning today, our messages that we speak are going to be rooted in one main theme, and that theme is going to be the Word of God, the Word of God. Of God. And so uh, 
we got a great lineup of messages. There's going to be stuff that kind of is associated with um, theology or what we would call systematic theology. We're going to look at uh, some history, nerdy stuff. I love it. Um, hopefully, I won't bore you to death with some of it. But really, I think uh, we're going to hear from Brian Acey, who is the former pastor here. He's going to be jumping in with us. Clem Ferris is going to be here in March sharing a message that we're already talking about what that's going to be. And I've just had a, I've always wanted to do this, um, but it just never quite seemed to come together. And it, it's coming together now. And it's where we take an extended period of time and we, the, the, the anchoring point of these messages is going to be the Word of God. What has God spoken? There's, um, there's always, from the time of Jesus... And the account of his story and all of the scripture throughout history has constantly been under scrutiny and speculation and pressure. What is true? Is it true? What has God said? What does God desire? And for, for 2,000 years this has been going on. Since the time of Christ, there's been a, a, a challenge to the word of God. And, and those of us that, you know, you've been doing something for 2,000 years, you kind of can take it for granted. That's a long time. We don't have to do it that long, and we take things for granted in our own lives. And even being people like many of us grew up in a church context, not all of us, but some of us did, and we have a tendency to then begin to take for granted the Word of God. And we begin to operate with a lot of assumptions and a lot of ideas that we don't even know necessarily why we believe what we believe or why we think what we think or what is true about the Word of God. But we need to be a people that is able to give an answer for why we have hope why we believe the things that we believe. And it's all rooted in what God has spoken, what God has said. We also, as a group, we have a value we call development. We value development. What does that mean? It means that we value that we all grow up, that we all become mature, that we all advance and we continue to grow in our relationship with God, in our relationships with one another, in our understanding of the scripture, and in our maturity. All of those kind of things are words that we would use uh, to, to describe development. That not just that we develop as a group in accomplishing our vision, but that you as an individual in your relationship with God <clears throat> continue to grow. I think, you know, it really is a it's a contrasting idea to stagnancy that we just kind of come to church and we do our routine and we do our thing and at the end of the year, hopefully at the end of 2019, you reflected a little bit and thought, did I grow this year? Did I somehow take advancing steps closer to God in a greater understanding? Did I serve in a different way? Did my gift develop or who I am in the body of Christ and the way I serve and the way I contribute? Has it advanced? And it's something that you know, is in the heart of God that we continue to be fruitful and grow. And so development is an important part of our process. Well, how, how, one of the fundamental things about that is what has God said? What is the word of God? What has God spoken that we are learning from and growing in our understanding of who He is? So we're going we're to be talking in the months ahead, basically anchored in that idea of the Word of God. It'll probably take on a lot of different messages in the months to come, but I am just so excited about it. And I have a sense of urgency about it as well. I have a little bit of heartburn over this issue right now, if I could put it that way. And, you know, like I said, the, the, particularly when it comes to the Scripture, but also in areas of faith, um, there is constant challenge 
to the truthfulness of God and whether God is actually true and whether God is actually loving and whether any of this is real. And one of the things that testifies to the authenticity and the truthfulness of Scripture is the fact that it's withstood 2,000 years of scrutiny and, and uh, opposition and people in universities all over the world every year since organized education has begun has sought to disprove the Scripture and having yet not been able to do so is a pretty profound statement to the authenticity of the Word of God, something we should take seriously and not take for granted. But if we start operating on taking things for granted and assumptions, then we are not really well equipped in the wielding of the Word of God. So I, I think it's very urgent. I think it, there's a lot of questions that need answers, and life is difficult, and we need reliable, truthful resources to lead us and guide us. We also have just, uh, you know, with the information age and technology and just the explosive development of uh, research and resources. I mean, right now, everyone in this room can hop on their phone and go to the Bible in Greek, in Hebrew. They can read all kinds of commentaries and resources. And I mean, there's just so much information at our disposal. And yet, as that information has grown, we haven't, uh, it hasn't decreased the value of Scripture, but in my mind, has in fact increased the authenticity and the value of the Word of God. So we're in a time where we have a great privilege, and I also think a great responsibility with what is available to us, Uh, particularly in our American context, where we have the freedom to study and examine and grow in our learning and and also then resource things in other parts of the world. Uh, one of the things about this training center in South Africa that's so significant is they, they don't often have the opportunity for a, a gr- good download of um, solid biblical teaching and those kinds of things. And I think we, in our context, have such an amazing opportunity and privilege, and we ought to take advantage of it. So what I want to start out with today talking to you is what, what we call... Um, the Word of God in, in various forms. What, what does that mean? When you, Jared, when you say the Word of God, what are, you, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the Scripture? Are you talking about God actually speaking out loud? Are you talking about prophetic thing? What, what, are, you, what are you talking about? And so I'm, I'm, you'll hear a lot of, I, I'll have lots and lots of, um, uh, uh, just lost the word, not references. Yeah, references, you know, when you uh, cite, I'll, I'll have, there'll be lots of authors and teachers that have influenced me over the years. You're going to hear a lot of that in this. I obviously didn't come up with all of this. Uh, we, we teach generation after generation, and we learn and we grow, and so there'll be, I'll probably at some point be giving you information about additional resources, but not necessarily today. But I will be leaning on um, some systematic theology ways of explaining and formatting things so that we can talk through some of these things. And the first thing is um, what we call the decrees of God. I think before we even talk about that, maybe we just need to acknowledge the fact that God speaks. Your God speaks. He communicates. And in a lot of different ways, and it's very significant and profound. He's, he's, I told you, I shared part of my testimony that I went through a season of my life where I had a very agnostic attitude, this idea that God exists, but he's off in outer space doing his thing and not really particularly concerned with the world or the affairs of mankind. I've clearly come to a different belief at this point in my life. But 
God is speaking. His, his words, um, they resonate through the generations. They echo throughout all of the universe and creation. And actually, that's where I want to start, in the beginning. In the book of Genesis, when God is creating the world, how did he do it? He got out his trowel and his wheelbarrow and his shovel and his carving knife, and he went around shaping the world? Huh? No, he spoke it. How, what, where did the creative power of God come from? His words. He spoke creation into existence. Out of nothingness, something came to be because God spoke it. That, t- that should just, we just got to stop sometimes and realize the power and the value of the words of God. That they, they God is transcendent. He's, he's outside of the confinements of, of this matter of reality and physics and all the laws that guide and govern and hold this all together. He's beyond it. He spoke it into existence. He controls it. He said in the, be- in the beginning, he said, let there be light. Now, as hard as I could try, I can try and create something with my words, but I can't. I've got to take some other actions. I've got to walk over and flip on the switch, or I have to have an electronic device that, that responds when I say, hey, I'm not going to say it because my iPad will start talking to me, but, but God, all he, did is, all he has to do is say it, and the laws of nature respond to his command. It reminds me of Jesus in the storm in the boat when, when the, the waves and all the stuff's happening and everyone's freaking out and he just tells it to be quiet, to be still. And the wind and the waves obeyed him. That's how authoritative the words of God are, that creation responds to his word. And of course, the apostles were amazed. Who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? How, what did they obey? He didn't wave his sword and threaten. He didn't hold his protest sign and yell. He commanded it with his word, and it subsided. That's how he wielded his authority, by what he spoke. And I think, you know, when we, when we, look, at the, 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 when we look at creation and all those stories, they're like foundational building blocks in our understanding today of who God is. And there's something else I want to draw attention to about, I, I think God did it, you know, God could do whatever he wanted, whatever way he wanted, but he spoke things into existence. And now, here we are thousands and thousands of years later, understanding that even our words matter. Our words are powerful. There was a famous person in the Bible who said, by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. You know who that was? was Jesus himself. Our words are powerful. And so our, we, we understand that about ourselves. We know that if we speak negative and evil things towards people, they receive it and it can hurt them. Or when we speak positive and loving words to people, they receive it and it's helpful to them. Our words are powerful. How much more the one in whose image we are created? And I think it's no accident that God used his words, that he spoke creation into existence. And that actually even resonates in us as a reflection of his image. Those are words of decree. This is the way it's going to be. God decrees something and and the universe hears and responds. Psalm 33 verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. How were the heavens made? By the word of the Lord. 
and by the breath of his mouth all their host. It, it, uh, actually, I'll read this Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is speaking of Jesus. Oh, this is some rich stuff. He is the radiance of the glory of God, speaking of Jesus, and the exact imprint of his nature. So, so when, we, when we're wrestling with this idea of the Trinity, that God is three and one, that Jesus is God, and yet not, like how does that all work? This is something that gives us some insight that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God in our reality. He, he's, he's flesh, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. How did he uphold the universe? How, does this, how do all these laws of nature and thermodynamics and physics and all these five senses and the way humans are and this, just this whole framework in which we operate, what's holding all that in place? His word. Because he spoke it, it has to obey and it stays the way he designed and what he did because he spoke it. And he holds it together by his word. God's word is powerful. Very powerful. By that word, he holds us all together. So words of decree, God declares something, it is. No questions asked. It just is. But there's another form of the word of God. Similar to that, we would call, we would call it words of personal address. In other words, uh, uh, words that humans hear. No one was there to hear God say, let there be light. No one was there to hear that. But there are other times that we see that God has spoken and people heard it in such a way that there was no question who was doing the talking. If God's voice thundered in this room right now, if God's voice thundered in this room right now, it would be, we would call that a word of personal address. We heard it. We knew it was God. And whatever he told us to do, we would probably do it and be wise to do so, right? So if, he, if his voice thundered in here and he said, Jr., I want you to dismiss the service right now because people need to go get lunch. I'd be like, okay, yes, Lord, we will do that. Everybody go have a nice lunch. Some of you are hopeful, right? But he does speak so that humans hear. He's done it a number of times. He did it with Adam in the very beginning. Again, it's so valuable and important that we look at the foundations of the world and the beginning story so that we understand what we are founded upon. And in the very beginning, God gave instruction to Adam, which implies a few things. Who was the boss? God. And he gave instruction to the one he created. Now, we can't miss that simple reality. Who is the authority and who gave the instruction? God did. You can eat from all these trees, don't eat from that tree. God gives instruction. He has spoken it into existence, and we respond and obey to that, hopefully. But in fact, when the serpent tempts Adam and Eve, what does he say? He, the serpent says to them, did God really say? What did he challenge? He challenged the words. He challenged the word. That's how he deceived because he challenged the word, got them to believe something different, and they disobeyed the word of God and paid the price. And all of humanity today is built upon that foundation of that brokenness of the word. But it's important that in that story, when God gave instruction to Adam, we, we understand that right away and all throughout history now, we understand God is the authority. He is the one that speaks and his word is to be obeyed. So in these words of personal address, let's, let's look at another one. 
uh, Ten Commandments. In, in Exodus chapter 20, in the very beginning, uh, it says this, And God spoke all these things, saying, and it goes on with the list of what God spoke to the people. Now, this is a great story, and please go read it. Exodus chapter 20, read it after today. God's voice is audible to the people, and it is terrifying to them. It's authoritative, it's powerful, there's fire on Mount Horeb, and God's declaring the commandments, the Ten Commandments. He's speaking these things and these laws to them, and they, they're, they're freaked out. And they tell Moses, who's the leader of the people at this time, they say, we can't listen to this anymore, we're going to die. You go talk to God for us, and I'll cover that more specifically in a little bit. You go to talk to God for us, or else we're going to die. We can't handle it. Good, thanks, Siri. Boy, I can't keep you quiet, can I? And, and, and this just tells us something about the authority and the power of God's word that the people trembled in fear. That's how authoritative and powerful God's words were. And they wanted Moses to go talk to God because it was risky business hearing from such a powerful and awesome God. I was reminded this week, there's a passage in Isaiah that I have highlighted in my Bible and I like it. I ran across it this week and I thought it went well even with what I'm thinking is... Um, <clears throat> Isaiah 45, verse 9, and, and, it, and it says, um, it's, what it actually says is, Woe to him who strives with him who made him. That's three hymns in one sentence. So it's, Woe to the person who strives with the one who created them. Woe to the person who strives. Okay, so that we don't want to strive with the one who made us. And then it says, Does the clay say to the potter, What are you making? This idea that God is the authoritative one. He's the one shaping things. And we like to be the clay pot that complains about it to the potter. In fact, it goes on in the next sentence. The clay, the, does the clay say, why doesn't your work have any handles? Like you're criticizing the potter. The one who has the authority and the power to shape the clay is being criticized by the clay. Now, if I were a potter and the clay started talking to me, after I got done freaking out, I'd probably throw that away. I wouldn't deal with that. I'm the authority. You're the clay. Be quiet. I'm going to shape you how I want. If I want to make you in a bowl, I will. If I want to turn you into a nice face, that's fine. And if I don't like you, I'll throw you away and start over. Fortunately, God's more loving than I am. The clay and in the potter's hand, there's this sense of authority about who God is. And when he declares these things and his word goes out, people listen. How about when God's voice spoke from heaven over Jesus? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3.17. God speaks. And he, at times he's spoken like that. And I think that would be really, probably very awesome and very terrifying to hear. But wow, it would be cool. It was clear to whoever heard these words of personal address, that was God. No question about it. And whatever was spoken then was understood to be divine and therefore authoritative. It's God's words. It's originating from divine authority. It is true and to be obeyed. So the idea being that to disbelieve or disobey those words was to disbelieve or disobey God himself. 
To disbelieve or disobey those words is to disbelieve or disobey God itself. It's true in our own natural context. If I tell one of my kids, go do this, go do that, da 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 and they don't obey me, they didn't obey my words, they didn't obey me. But we're fallible too. I mean, there's this thing where, you know, we have the saying, take me at my word. I'll give you my word. What does that mean? Hopefully my word is a 100% authentic reflection of me. It is my heart and who I am. And if, I'm, if I say something to you, I want you to, be able to take, you to be able to take me at my word. But we're fallible, right? We're, we're, we make mistakes. We're sinful. We're selfish. We can't always be taken at our word. But why is that a thing? Why, does, why is that even a thing? Because I think in our creator himself, we are to take him at his word because his word is a reflection of him. It is him. It is Him. It, it, when we hear it, we know it's a, a 100% authentic view of Him. Unlike our own situation, person to person, where there's a fallibility there. But we value that, don't we? Don't you value someone you can take at their word? Don't you value that? Wouldn't it be nice if we operated in a world where we could just operate on a handshake? And not have to have a 25-page legal document to testify against us if we break it? but rather we could be people that just on a handshake could agree or a napkin at least, you know, without all. But why? Because we're not. We can't always be taken at our word. We're manipulative. We're selfish. We're fallible. There's, you know, those are, I think those are fairly easy to comprehend. God speaks. It's, there's an audibleness to the, to the words of personal address. There's an authority to the the decrees that caused creation, those words. Uh, we understand those. It gets a little trickier then when we start talking about um, speech through human lips. Now, we, I think we've probably all had those situations, and, and we don't know what to think when someone comes up to us and says, God told me this. God told me that. God gave me a picture for you. I had a, you know, and, and so... The, Sometimes there's this idea that because God told me, it's not questionable. And I appreciate that people have a lot of faith when they believe that God has shared something with them or showed them, but I also know that we're all messed up. And so there's a fallibility component that comes into play with this idea that God would speak through human beings. So I want to unpack quite a bit of that. I want to start, though, way back. Where did this concept come from? What's, what's this idea that God would use broken, fallible human beings who are sinful and selfish to declare His words? How did that happen? Well, it really begins in a similar story to what we were talking about earlier when, when God is dealing with the Israelites through Moses. And Moses isn't going to last forever. I mean, you know, Moses got the great story, the burning bush in the desert. God manifests himself in this burning bush, speaks to Moses. Moses goes and does his duty, and he leads the people out of Egypt, and he's like their leader, prophet guy. You know, he's giving them all the instruction. He's speaking to God on their behalf. Uh, God's giving Moses instruction. He's giving it to the people, all those kind of things. And that's, that's where we start to see this develop. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses, like I said, he's not going to last forever. 
he did live a long time, like 120 years, 123 years, something like that. But he's not going to last forever. And he's the one that's going to God on behalf of the people and hearing and responding. The Lord your God, this is Moses speaking, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God or see this great fire anymore so that we will not die. What did they do? They asked Moses, you go for us, right? And then it it established then what would become a precedent throughout the entire Old Testament, that someone would be hearing the words of God and delivering them to the people as the word of God. It was as in a response to that situation where God spoke and everyone heard, and it was terrifying and powerful. And he goes on to say, Then the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. God agreed. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. And I will hold accountable anyone who does not listen to my words. That that prophet speaks in my name. But if any prophet dares to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or to speak in the name of other gods, that prophet must be put to death. So we start seeing this established pattern and then we see it from Moses to Joshua and throughout the Judges and Samuel write, Samuel's writings, we see the writings of Jeremiah and Isaiah and all the minor prophets. And, and throughout the generations, God continued to raise someone up that he was speaking to the nation through. Now, they had priests who were offering the sacrifices on behalf of the people, but they had a prophet. And we'll probably talk more in detail about some of those things in the days ahead, what I really want to establish is that God began the pattern of speaking to his people through his people. That he would appoint someone to hear his words, and it was a, this person was very authoritative and someone to be somewhat feared. But I think it's important that we need to realize that these were ordinary people with ordinary language, raised up out of ordinary circumstances. Okay, and when God spoke through them, there wasn't, they didn't go into some trance-like state and a different voice come out. In fact, often when the prophets spoke, they were rejected by the people. The people didn't always see that God was behind those words. And the Israelites took it quite seriously. It was highly likely that you would lose your life if you took upon yourself to declare the word of the Lord. But when the word of the Lord came... Just like all the other words of the Lord, there was nothing to indicate that it should, could be disobeyed or disbelieved. Okay, again, the same idea. To disbelieve the prophetic word that came and to disobey the prophetic word that came was to disbelieve and disobey God. And of course, the Israelites paid heavy prices over and over and over throughout their history because they didn't believe that the word that came was the word of God. Here's something else to think about. Let's take the prophet Jeremiah, for example. God told Jeremiah, I put my words in your mouth. God told him that. Now, if somebody came up to me right now and said, God put his words in my mouth, I would probably raise my eyebrow, right? We have a reasonable level of, I'm eh, not sure if I 
quite believe that. And it's totally di- we're in a different covenant today, and that's something else we'll talk about another time. But Jeremiah brought these words, and what happened to him? He was thrown in jail. He was rejected. He was put in the stocks. He was mocked. What I find really interesting is that within a few generations, they looked back and saw him as a prophet. But the people in his day did not. They rejected his words and paid the price for it. And when the Israelites realized that it was the word of God, it was honored as the word of God and became a part of their scripture. I mean, think about that for a second. In the time that the prophet spoke the words of God, he was rejected. And yet that same group of people in time came to accept it as the word of God because it came true. And God gives us the caveat for this in this conversation that Moses is saying. You, you would ask, they're, they're about to ask a question, and it's a question that all of us ask ourselves, I think. You may ask in your heart. This is Moses speaking. God is so merciful to us that he gives us these things. You may ask in your heart, how can we recognize a message that the Lord has not spoken? The question that all of us will immediately come to. How can I know that it's the word of God? There's just something in my heart that fears making a mistake, and I don't want to believe something that's not true. How can I know that it's the word of God? And then he says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, and the message does not come to pass or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. Why? Remember, go back to those, the concepts of the words of decree. When God decrees, it will be. And no one can stop that but him. A word that does not come to pass is not from God. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. In other words, don't have that fearful respect and reverence of who he is. You don't need to fear him because he's speaking presumptuously. It's not the word of God. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 22 was everything I just read to you. So we see this established that God speaks through people. Like I said about Jeremiah, I put my words in your mouth. How about Isaiah? Fantastic book of prophecy in the Old Testament. Okay? Isaiah has his vision of God, and he's afraid he's going to die because that, you know, God's perfection and man's sinfulness do not coincide. And so when, when Isaiah has this vision, he's like, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like even though he was a good guy, he, he understood inside of who God was that he came up significantly short. And, he has, and the angel takes a coal from the altar and touches his lips and says, there, you're clean. And then he goes on to be a prophet. He speaks these things on behalf of God. So in the Old Testament, the Israelites understood and operated in such a way that the prophet was the one who spoke for God. And those words were regarded as divine and authoritative and were meant to be obeyed. And often weren't, but then were recognized in hindsight as being the word of God. You know, the, the, Jewish, the Jewish Bible is the same as, the Jewish Old Testament is the same as ours today. In these messages up ahead, we're going to talk about, next week I'm going to start talking about the canon. All these things that we call the Word of God, this collection of writings, how do we know that it's authoritative? How do we believe that, why do we believe that it's the Word of God? What, did other people add books that shouldn't be there? Did we take out stuff that shouldn't be there? We're going to talk about the Apocrypha and other writings. We're going to look at some of the first century letters that were written by some of the leaders of the church that actually really align themselves with even what we believe now 2,000 years later 
about what the scripture is. So we're going to unpack those things. So if you're getting a little anxiety over some of the things that I'm saying or there's so much more to it, just be patient. We're going to hopefully unpack a lot of this in the days ahead. But there was severe punishment for false words. There's a story of Ahab, the king, who he's, you know, just like the New Testament says that, that the times are, are here where people surround themselves with teachers who tell them what they want to hear. In other words, that God no longer becomes the standard of truth, we do. Our culture, our context, my experiences, my things are what determine my reality, not God. And we surround ourselves with teachers that tell us what we want to hear. There's a warning in Scripture about that. Ahab did that. He surrounded himself with prophets who told him what he wanted to hear. And he wants to go take this place called Ramoth Gilead. And, of course, his prophets are around him saying, Yay, go, you're going to be, God says you're going to be successful and you're going to defeat him and you're going to crush him. And then one of the prophets of the Lord says, You're going to your death. I'm paraphrasing the story. And he has this vision of a lying spirit. And one of the other prophets slaps him in the face and tells him he's the one with the lying spirit and whatever else. But that prophet said, You'll, you'll know the truth when you're locked up in the inner room. And it came to pass. Um, that he died, and Ahab went to his death. He went to Ramoth Gilead, and he was killed there. And that prophet, I was reminded by uh, our friend Jeremy came up and was telling me, reminded me of the part of the story where he goes, they drag him away to prison, this prophet, and they're like, if Ahab doesn't come, uh, when Ahab gets back, he's will kill him or whatever. That's the kind of the idea. And he says, if Ahab comes back alive, I'm not a prophet, and you can kill me basically because that's what they did. But guess who didn't come back? Ahab, the prophet was right. The word came to pass. Everybody suddenly took seriously that this guy was a prophet, someone that spoke the words of God, spoke the will of God into the situation. Moses got us started in that. I'm going to take just a couple minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm just drawing a blank. What time am I supposed to be done? 11.55, Okay. Uh, one thing I want to touch on just briefly to acknowledge it, but not necessarily unpack it, because it, it's going to be a message in the future. But it starts with, and there's just a few mentions of this in the Scripture, not very many. In John chapter 1, uh, John's talking about Jesus coming in the world. and says, and the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, this is reminiscent back to that passage in Hebrews that says that Jesus was the imprint of the nature of God. The Word of God that, I don't even know, I I can't explain it. I don't know how. The Word became flesh in, in Jesus Christ. He's the embodiment of God. And what God says is true. His Word is true. Jesus was true. That's how John describes him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the Word in flesh. He's the embodiment of the very nature of God. And God's word also is the reflection of God himself. It's an accurate part of who he is. Not only that, about the word being Jesus himself, but then in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, 
Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. This is, the, this is the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled there. He has this vision, and it's known as the book of Revelation. It's the last book in your Bible. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. His name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of his fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The very authoritative, you know, that imagery of the sword coming from the mouth, that word of God, Jesus being both the embodiment of it and, and his speak, in his speaking, he will rule the nations. I think sometimes we, you know, this is kind of fearful language and very, very powerful. But I think, you know, Jesus does have enemies and he will deal decisively with them when the time comes, but he is the word of God. Anyway, I don't want to talk any more about that today, but I just wanted to take a minute and acknowledge it. What I want to focus in on here for just a few more minutes before I wrap up is the written word of God. Where did this concept, we have, we call it the Bible, and we, you know, the Bible tells me so, and we have this, and I've, I've had a lot of disturbing conversations in recent years where the authority of the scripture, the understanding of the scripture um, the challenges to it are significant. And so we as a people have to understand what do we believe about the written word of God? Why do we think that the Bible is authoritative? Why do we think it's the word of God? What's all the evidence we have? How come, how come we do it like this? Why do we have this written record? And where did it even begin? Did we just make this up in the last 50 years and put this Bible together? No. This has been happening again, going back to Moses. Do you know who wrote the very first words of God? I mean, if you answered Moses, I would give you credit. But the one who actually first recorded in writing the words of God was God himself. Guess who wrote the Ten Commandments? Not Moses. God. And I'll show you. And he gave to Moses, when he finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And then Moses in Exodus 32, the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. I think, you know, when we talk about that idea of where do these themes and ideas and concepts begin, we go back and we see that God wrote it in stone to establish his covenant with his people. He began by writing in stone. Why do we have that saying? Written in stone. So that it would never go away, it could never change, it would always be, it was written in stone. But even when it was written in stone, we don't obey, do we? And there's more to it than that. Moses continued to write then an account, and he was instructed to do so. And he made copies of all these things, and he distributed it to the people. Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the son of Levi who carried the Ark of the Covenant, and to all the elders of Israel. You're talking about a mass distribution here. We don't know exactly, but the word was written and distributed amongst the people. Over and over and over again, God is instructing the prophets, write it down, 
Write it down. Write it down. And I want to draw your attention to maybe what I think is probably the most significant motivation about it. In verse 24 of chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, when Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Here, here catch this reason. That it may be there for a witness against you. Now, against has a negative connotation. But the, what, it was written in stone, and then Moses wrote everything in the law, and they kept a copy of it by the Ark of the Covenant as a testimony, a witness. A witness of what was true and what was right in God's sight and what was his word for the people to constantly have. And they were instructed. Um, when all Israel comes to appear before, this is Moses giving instruction to the people. Um, when all, uh, at the end of every seven years, at the time, at the set time in the year of release, which is part of the Jewish history, I don't have time to unpack now, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, little ones, uh, the sojourner within your town, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord as long as they live in the land that I give you. So, again, this idea that it was going to be read, everyone was to understand it, it was in common language, it could be understood by all of the people, it was not complex. I know some of you are like, yes, I only have to read my Bible every seven years. That's how often they had to go through that law, but keep in mind they went through the whole thing in that amount of time. It was very important that the word was read, that the people knew what it said, so that they could obey and so that they could learn about God. This was the witness of God to the people was through the written word. From the time God first established, the other thing to realize is, you know, you've got, God has got covenants with uh, Adam and he makes a covenant with Noah and Abraham, but this covenant here with Moses is with a group of people. He begins to covenant with the people as a whole. And he begins it, this is the first time he does it like this, and he puts it in writing. And you and I today benefit from that. All right, I'm going to end there. Would you stand, please? All right, so what's the great takeaway of the day? God speaks. God speaks to us. He speaks in many ways. We We haven't even touched on the Holy Spirit we haven't got to talk about the New Testament, the transition of that covenant, all those kind of things, but we need to be a people of the Word who know the Word, who know why we believe what we believe and what it is we believe about it, how to engage with it and understand because it draws us to God because it is a reflection of God Himself. It's not just a record. It's the Word of God, which is more, even more than a word of man can be about Himself. So looking forward to next week, unpacking some of the canon and those kind of things. I'm very excited. I hope you are. You don't want to miss out of it. I'll try not to be boring. I promise it's going to be fun because there's some great stories surrounding all of this. Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you for each one that could be here. Lord, I thank you that it's by the power of your words you hold this all together. All the laws of everything that guides anything around here in nature and physics and the way we're created and the way we operate, it just your very word holds it all together and in place. Lord, you, you spoke to the sea 
at the shore and said, this far you will come and no further. Lord, I'm thankful for that power and that amazing uh, witness, Lord, to us. Father, I pray that you'd stir each one of our hearts to be in our Bibles, Lord, to learn from your word and to draw closer to you through it, not just to fill our heads with knowledge, but to cause it to prompt us to action and living in certain ways that are pleasing to you and draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.